audience. Podience, welcome. You are a beloved and indefatigably patient lot. Welcome to another long-awaited, your collective conscience-sated episode of White Collar Black Belt. I have been present, but otherwise accounted for. I briefly shut the cover on this White Collar Black Belt book in my massive and considerably growing Kimohawk Sessions library, and in the interim have published 14 chapters in my new Slick Flick Pick edition. That is 14 Slick Flick Picks analyzed for your oral pleasure, and you can locate them, click on them, and orally peruse them at your leisure. These Slick Flick Picks have also included no less than three co-hosts or guests thus far. Chemohawk Sessions began with White Collar Black Belt, Tales of My Cancerous Plight and White Collar Ailments, Rebellion, Whimsical Anecdotes, and an Auditory Survival Guide to Surviving the Trials of a Claustrophobic Workplace and How to Refrain from Workaholic Tendencies. But it was always intended to blossom into a full-blown anthology series. What does success resemble? How do you measure and or weigh it? I.e., has my Chemohawk Sessions podcast been successful? That answer remains elusive for a litany of reasons, but what I can share with a confident voice at a proud F-Stars volume is that I have researched, composed, and released 110 episodes for your oral pleasure. Over nine guests, like remember when I did Slick Flick Pick number nine, which was the ninth gate, over nine God D-Stars guests interviewed with more to come. And you can now enjoy a panoply of cover art teaser images on my Instagram, Balsetto Prophet. Simply follow me and everything will reveal itself to you. Enjoy some or all of my Chemohawk Sessions offerings and tell your compadres for something this glorious should not be kept to yourself. Today's session will be exceedingly relevant and rife with passionate delivery, as it is something I no doubt feel impassioned about. As this is my 56th full episode of White Collar Black Belt, you have come to know what exactly to expect, and you are acquainted with my delivery and radical F-Star's honesty. You know what I appreciate? Candor. And you know what gets in the way of candor? People's feelings, emotions, fears, misunderstandings, dark, hidden motivations, and delusions. I don't like undue negativity. I want to be clear about that. Nobody likes to hang out with people at social gatherings, soirees, or just about any function that is constantly harping, bitching, griping, moaning, and pissing on everybody with their trenchant and unyielding negativity. But I abhor false positivity. And this is a tried and true blight at the white collar as well. I will, of course, dive in and divulge more on that topic. But you know it when you see it, and by then it is God D-Star's tricky to flee it. As far as success with this podcast, it's a difficult question to answer because that question can be answered through so many different voices 
through so many mediums, looking at it from so many different perspectives, angles, and dimensions. I would say I'm satisfied with Chemohawk Sessions, but I cannot be completely content with it. Because if you started your work January 1st, and your employer paid you your entire salary, less taxes, January 1st, by the end of business, would you be able to work the remaining 260 days of that year, or however many days you're expected to be on the clock? Would that change in any way how you worked in February or November 29th that year? Even though you've already been given your money and you can spend it how you like, would that be a really sound method from a psychological perspective? And it's odd because when you think about it, who wouldn't want to receive all their money up front? I don't know. It causes kind of a complicated moral quandary. It definitely impacts and infiltrates your desire to continue cranking out metaphorical widgets. I say that to analyze my own thoughts further and say that I am satisfied with Chemohawk sessions, but I have to still think that there are parts and that there are segments and that there are upcoming chapters and books in my Chemohawk sessions library that still require attention and they require exposition because there are stories left to be told. If I felt that all of my stories were told, there would be nothing left to contribute, much to my chagrin and, of course, the lament of all of you beloved listeners. But I say I am satisfied, but there is still more of the story to share. And that keeps me cranking out these very real, tangible auditory treats for you. Welcome, you precisely positive audience, to Chapter 56, White Collar, Black Belt, False Positivity, Neither Pregnant Nor Jubilant. Attention, audience. I am now on multiple platforms. I am easier to find than cankles on a runway model, a zit on the nose of a Kardashian, a social exchange that exhibits no politics nor is driven by a fractionated dogmatic platform slash agenda. I am on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, Anchor, Audible, the list continues. I also have some eye candy posts on my Falsetto Profit Instagram. Simply follow me, Falsetto Profit, on Instagram, and I shall grant you passage into my realm of my reality. Also, you can reach out with any questions, comments, if there's any slick flick pics you want to hear, or if there are any white collar topics that you would like to have me speak on, or if you would like to be a guest, please reach out to me at falsettoprofit at gmail.com. That's falsettoprofit, all one word. We can begin that very, very memorable and resplendent journey of talking together as we continue to unravel the mysteries of the white-collar black belt phenomenon that affects many, if not all. Let me greet you with some well-selected, even better articulated quotes. I don't want to be polite. I don't think campaigning is polite. That's a disingenuous effort. Carl Palladino I come from very common stock, and I've always been uncomfortable with pretension and all the forms it can take, including disingenuous broadcasting. Tom Baudet. It's difficult to find a genuine weakness that makes you appear competent. For instance, telling your interviewer that your weakness is working so hard that you have trouble prioritizing your life is a little too cliche and comes across as, you guessed it, 
disingenuous, Travis Bradbury. Now here is falsetto prophet singing with his orally pleasing falsetto voice. Now with our souls misunderstood and our minds they saw the map of a way. For how long, how long must you take? I was set for that mistake, but you moved. And when there was nothing that I couldn't take, it's all on you, darling. You took me when my eyes were turned. It's all on you, baby. Now that is Robert Pattinson with an original song, It's All On You. This dude, forget Twilight. This dude can act and he can sing and play the guitar. If I was a female bass life form, I would definitely be rooting for Mr. Rob Pattinson. I would be in his corner. I would be his chief man. I would be his chief woman, wingman. I don't care, but he's awesome. Now, why did I pick that song? Well, it has the word misunderstood. It's all on you, darling. It's all on you, baby. If you peddle false positivity, it is all on you. Tale of the title. How pissed off, hollowed out, and or socially devastated would you be if you had a false positive pregnancy party? So let's say you take a pregnancy test and it reads a false positive. You don't get it checked. You don't go to a doctor. You just rely on our contemporary technology and you say, aha, I'm pregnant. Excellent. Let's have a party. You invite 10,000 people. Social media can be your biggest friend and it can be your ugliest enemy. How humiliated would you be if you told everyone they show up at the party, they bring gifts, tablecloth was ordered, custom decorations, and then you find out it was a false positive. Well, you know what? You should have verified before you committed to anything. False positivity. It does not bode well on a false positive pregnancy test. And I'm not even a woman, so I will never know what it is like to either be pregnant or to get a false positive on a pregnancy test. But what I can tell you is that I am intelligent enough to know that that sounds a shizzy deal. That sounds like a raw deal. Today, we will talk about the significance of false positivity as it extends to and permeates through mental health, your occupation, and your overall station in your lot in life. False positivity is a real thing. While the pregnancy false positive test was a simple example, it was an unsophisticated example, but no less apt. And now I can tell you a little bit about false positivity and what type of an impact it makes on your daily mental health. Does false positivity Fake positivity help or hurt you from Emma Marie Smith. We have all heard the expression, fake it till you make it. But how helpful is fake positivity in the real world? Should we all be putting on a smile to make ourselves look and feel more positive? Well, the answer is a little tricky. When is false positivity helpful? It is a common prescription in therapy. The advice may sound cliched, but it's based on this idea that if you just act more like the person you want to be, you can change your reality. I took enough psychology courses to know of self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, if every day you wake up, you think that you're fat, unsophisticated, ugly with halitosis, and you think that every day for the rest of your life, I don't know that you're going to have any Rocky Four moments where you're running on the side of a snowy bank on a mountainside, lifting logs and having a bottomless well of inspiration. However, what happens if you are thinking positively, but you're thinking so positively 
and in such a skewed light that you have now disassociated yourself in no small degree from reality. Well, they call that denial. Now, you can trick and fool a lot of people. You can be as falsely positive as you want, audience. But I can tell you that much like the stages of grief, people experience them in a different order, but they experience all of them. You can't omit steps. There are these specific steps that must be followed because it's human nature to have them. That's why they were able to crank it out to a specific number of the stages of grief. You can't lie to yourself all the time, and you can't lie to yourself for an extended period of time. You can fool yourself in large ways sometimes, and you can fool yourself in small ways conceivably throughout your entire life. But all the time, for such a long duration, no. It's not even conceivable, because if that was the case, you would be something that was lacking the basic human gears and dials that you would expect in someone that has sympathy and someone that can relate even in a small way to their fellow man, because then you would be talking about a sociopath. The example provided here by Miss Smith. Let's say that you have a job interview, and you may feel extremely anxious and that you have low self-esteem, but you're unlikely to show this when you're facing a prospective employer. Now that's putting your best foot forward, right? So instead, you fake it till you make it. You smile, you sit up straight, and you talk confidently. Because you know that there's a lot riding on this, and depending on how you comport yourself, you may be more likely to get the job. False positivity often works over a prolonged period too, because thinking and acting more positively can help build new pathways in the brain. By repeating positive affirmations, we can change the way we think and act in the long run. But this isn't about overriding your personality or becoming something you're not. It's about removing set negative self-talk from the equation. Now, this creeps dangerously close to what I had an episode on called imposterior syndrome. I am so fed up <laughs> with people saying imposter syndrome. If you're going to say imposter syndrome, then you need to immediately follow it with, well, I have imposter syndrome because I have a father, I have a coach, I have a priest, and I have a white collar middle manager who constantly is undermining me, they're constantly criticizing me, and they have forced me over years to a crippling degree of a lack of confidence, and I am an imposter. Even though I know I'm not truly an imposter, I have been made to feel an imposter because of these environmental, cruel circumstances. That's why I like to say imposterior syndrome, because it's funnier, right? You remember my personal nugget on that. I was at this bar, women were dancing on the stage for the booty contest, and this one girl was dancing so hard, and she was shaking it. She was shaking her milkshake because she knew that she had a lacking posterior. So she was trying to make up for it. She was faking it till she make it. The problem, though, is that she only made second place. First place went to the girl with the largest posterior. So really, it's an imposterior syndrome, because if you know that you are lacking in some way, you should have motivation to try to circumvent that or to vanquish that by way of how hard you work in other areas. In other words, use your strengths to supplement or to complement your weaknesses. But, and this is more to the tune of what I meant by false positivity, because I am against false positivity as a general rule. But false positivity can be dangerous when it comes to mental health. People who are struggling with depression or anxiety will try to hide their suffering, usually because they feel ashamed or maybe they want to protect the welfare of others. You can't fake your way out of mental illness, she says. No amount of positive thinking can take the place of proper 
medical, or a therapeutic treatment plan. I did want to talk about this a little bit because there is a mental health component to false positivity, but really, you don't want to be lying to yourself. Now, you can fool specific people for specific reasons, and that's fine. In fact, my boy Lambro, when I asked him to give me tips on anything he wanted to hear about or any suggestions for what he would like to hear me speak on regarding the white-collar black belt, he wanted me to talk about the idea of how you can deceive people at the workplace, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. What if you're given information that you're not supposed to have, but then you use that information to help another person? Now you misrepresent how you know that information to the person that you're helping. So there is some duplicity. There is some deception occurring, but you're doing it for a good reason. So it's really more of a, do the ends justify the means? Maybe you look like a hero at work when all you really did was take someone else's work and twist, shape, contort, or warp it in a way, and now you've passed it off as something that's a better product. I don't know. These are difficult questions to ponder on, but they are fun to think about. But it's really the idea of it is okay to deceive sometimes, especially if you have a really, really good endgame that explains your actions. You don't want to get in a habit of deceiving yourself. And when you say something in a recurring fashion and you get in a habit of thinking a certain way, not only is that habit difficult to break, but it can chip away at your understanding of your current reality. So much like the fake false positive pregnancy test result, you need to be careful when you are overly optimistic because one, that can lead to naivety, but it can also cause you to not be prepared for the metaphorical winter storm that is in fact coming. Now, false positivity can be highly effective when employed in the proper context. It only works if you can correctly identify a feeling or a belief that's holding you back and not as a cure or cover for some sort of illness. A fake positive attitude could hide from others that you're struggling, preventing you from getting the help and support you need. If you want more in-depth and spoken in a much more comprehensive and detailed delivery, I highly recommend you seek out my boy Wham Bam Cam's Audible Ally episode that has mention of a semicolon and when to use it. But I just wanted to touch on the idea that you don't want to be deluding yourself and you do not want to maintain a superficial, artificial sense of false positivity in how you conduct your daily life. Now, I want to talk about another psychological phrase called defaulting to truth. So I just watched that Bernie Madoff Netflix documentary, and one of the recurring themes was, here's a guy who's a swindler, he's a con artist, he's a liar, and one of the chief tenets of his scheme was false positivity. He was telling his investors, he was one, misrepresenting how their money was being used, but he was not only telling them false positive information, but he was manufacturing documents that were supporting the lies. So through Bernie Madoff, there was a shiz ton of false positivity going on. Obviously, he was telling his investors that the returns were colossal and these were money makers. He would use words like guaranteed, properly leveraged, or impossible to fail. The problem was that while it sounded good and it put people's minds at ease, it was all based on a veiled sham. That is an example, again, with Bernie Madoff and the colossal ripple effects of devastation that that caused on the world stage. I mean, on the economic world stage, that was another example of false positivity. You're basically telling lies that make things or make you or make the circumstances sound better, sweeter, and in this case, richer than they actually were. If he had just been real with these individuals and said, look, 
here is where your money is, or here is how I'm applying your money. Well, they would immediately get their money back and then distance themselves from him. But it was based on this false positivity. You don't want a false pregnancy test result, and you don't want to be investing your money, particularly your life savings, with someone who's going to be giving you bullshiz false positivity. But defaulting to truth, Bernie Madoff scam was also mentioned in this book, Talking to Strangers, by Malcolm Gladwell. I like that even in my 30s, I can still find a new concept. I had never heard of the defaulting to truth concept, but it's spelled out very eloquently in Malcolm Gladwell's book. So I'm going to talk about it a little bit now, because this will add some more dimension to this idea of false positivity. And then, of course, after this, I will get into the workplace and how it directly applies to your white collar. But knowing that you are intentionally misleading a person when you're communicating is called deception. Now, deception in most cases is looked at as a negative, and of course, it's connected to feelings of betrayal and distrust. Now, there are several types of deception, lies, equivocations, exaggerations, omissions of fact, understatements, concealments, you name it, and there is a fancy multisyllabic word for it. Based on the interpersonal deception theory, people often use deception to avoid punishment, maintain relationships, and preserve their sense of self-image. Now, with the Bernie Madoff scandal, and like a lot of these white-collar villains, it comes back to pride, it comes back to self-serving, it comes back to, of course, image, image on social media. And social media, that's an interesting time to make the nexus to social media because I think that social media is a diabolical mechanism for illustrating false positivity. How many people do you see on social media or on their Instagram posting photos where they look pissed off, they look sloppy, they look disheveled? How often do people take a video of themselves when they're in their utility room scrubbing the grout on their tile? Most people, when they present themselves on a social platform in the court of public opinion, they look their best, they've got a bright smile on their face. And they're in exotic places, wearing expensive exotic attire. They're usually around beautiful people, and they are selling themselves. But what they're really selling is an image of false positivity. They're not that wealthy. They're not that successful. They're not that polished. They're not that chiseled. But they maintain the illusion of that because they're trying to maintain false positivity. And so in that sense, social media can be fun to look at, and it can be a diversion to scroll through other people's lives, but you have to take it with the warehouse of salt that it is based on a lie and it's predicated on this idea of false positivity. People are projecting this sense of positivity that is not often true. And when it is true, it's granulated and it's very diluted when you actually get to the crux of the origin of what is responsible for this information that is being spread and that is being shared with the world at large. But truth default theory is a communication theory which predicts and explains the use of veracity and deception detection in humans. It was developed upon the discovery of the veracity effect, whereby the proportion of truths versus lies presented in a judgment study on deception will drive accuracy rates. Now, Timothy R. Levine, he provided an alternative view of deception and detection and it was a truth default theory that he created, he found that even in high suspicion situations, truth bias still occurred. 
At first, truth bias was thought of as flawed cognitive processing, but later found to be functional and adaptive. The idea is that people want to believe the truth. They're geared towards believing the truth, and when people share things with them, they're immediately inclined to accept it as a truth-based reality. Truth bias, the technical definition, is people's inclination towards believing, to some degree, the communication of another person, regardless of whether or not that person is actually lying or being untruthful. It is human nature to believe communication is honest, which in turn makes humans highly vulnerable to deception. Consequently, a person's ability to detect deception is weakened, particularly when the source is unfamiliar. When you're watching a open court case where someone's on the stand and you have no prior dealings with them, your ability to differentiate between a truthful statement and a deceptive statement is going to be even more challenging because you have no previous relation or understanding of how that person ticks, how they're wired, and their micro body language. But in Malcolm Gladwell's book, he used the Madoff case as an example of regardless of how suspicious it was, even the SEC was not processing these claims against Madoff because they could not wrap their very limited and their very distracted and their very corrupted brains around the idea that this very successful Wall Street businessman could be stooping to these levels of Ponzi scheming and duplicity. People are naturally wired or hardwired to believing the truth. But this also plays a part in false positivity. So you're misleading yourself with false positivity. Okay, somebody asks you how you're doing, and you say that you're doing F-Star's fantastic. But the truth is you're not. So then six other people ask you the same day and you tell all of them the same thing. You're doing stupendous. You're doing fantastic. You're exceptional. You are a unique snowflake that has an unlimited amount of shock and awe that you are going to wow the world with. Well, that works if you're using that as a motivation for you to work yourself out of your own rut, whether it's self-imposed or environmentally posed plight that you find yourself in. But where it gets problematic is if you're not opening up to people about how you're really doing or what you really think about things, your essence to me gets diluted and muddled and to a point that you don't even really exist as your own corporeal, sensational mammal. You've lost those components that go into the complicated machine that is you. I think that you can't unload on a stranger because that does not make sense in a normal social interaction. But I think the people that you've at least established a moderate to extreme level of trust with, I think that you should be open and honest with those people and give them the negativity, but also give them whatever positive ambitions or positive pursuits that you are engaging in. So you kind of want to give them a mixed bag, like a well-balanced answer. The false positivity can start corrupting you from within because I think what it does is it distances your ability to be in the here and the now and the richness of whatever your reality may be. But truth default theory may actually be an evolutionary advantage. This is because if humans, our ancestors, were able to detect deception in people's faces, even if they were from a different culture or they spoke a different language, that is exactly what may allow one culture to survive and last many, many more eons than another, because clearly you would have a social advantage. When I think of our ancestors, some interesting examples come to mind. 
Did you know that back in the day, you'd have the hunters and the gatherers? Well, when the gatherers would go collect various oats and bugs and berries to eat, they would stick close together. They would keep approximate distance to each other as they were investigating these foods off the land. And then they would taste test them, like in the field while they're gathering things. Because if one of them tasted something, like a berry, and it was poisonous, and then they fell over and they were violently grabbing their side, like where their appendix is or something, or if their throat started closing up, their fellow villagers would be immediately made aware of it. And then they would be able to associate that berry or that item with some type of a toxin. Well, another example of our ancestors is you ever wonder why you're sitting there and you fall asleep during the Super Bowl because like me, you don't really give a shiz about football. You find yourself nodding off and then you violently come to where you maybe you gesticulate or you kind of wake up as though you think you're falling off of the couch. That, in theory, is also rooted in our ancestry because back in the day, you would have various Cro-Magnon men or whatever you want to call them up in the trees scouting. They would be looking off into the distance to see what offerings the landscape had available and they would be in trees. Sometimes they would secure themselves to the tree, but they would of course fall asleep or they would sleep in trees to avoid predators altogether. And guess what? If they started nodding off, they would violently come to because they were trying to balance themselves so they wouldn't fall off the god D-Star's tree. Now, another cool example of that is when you had the movie Hoffa with Jack Nicholson, where he plays Jimmy Hoffa. These truckers, these long-haul truckers with the Truckers Union or the Teamsters Union, when they made their long truck hauls, they would smoke cigarettes. The idea being that if they started nodding off in the driver's seat, the cigarette would burn down to their fingers, burn their finger, and then wake them up. I don't know how reliable that is, but that's the very not positive, not negative, but the neutral truth. Maybe you speak in neutral truths where you don't give the whole bank away, but you at least cash some F-Star's social checks, right? Levine's conclusion on the truth to fault theory was that when watching these tapes of different people in interviews, most people will guess that each person interviewed is telling the truth, unless they see a behavior that distinctly makes them think that person is lying. In other words, the viewers default to assuming truth. They naturally operate under the assumption that the majority of participants are honest. That makes sense, right? I mean, from a logical perspective, the way that you behave and the way that you conduct yourself, like in an interview, if you maintain eye contact and you look confident and you look assertive, that would give off the almost undeniable impression or the very sensical impression that you are a better candidate because you're being honest about your accomplishments and your abilities. Whereas if somebody is shifty, no eye contact, and they keep scratching their crotch, maybe they are the best candidate but their comportment is not in line with what you were looking for when the interview started. Now, here's a quote from Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Always keep your foes confused. If they are never certain who you are or what you want, they cannot know what you are like to do next. Sometimes the best way to baffle them is to make moves that have no purpose or even seem to work against you. Remember that, Sansa, when you come to play the game. Now, that is some crazy advice. But you want to take that also with a bale of salt, because we all know how Littlefinger's story ended. The defaulting to truth. It was mentioned repeatedly throughout Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And I found it fascinating because I am someone, ironically, that is very distrustful. Now that sounds bad, but much like the CIA, trust but verify credo, when people tell me things... Now, I'm not saying that when people tell me stories, 
my assumption is that they're lying out their devil A stars. That's not the case. It's more like maybe it's because I've spent so much time around people, studying people. It was psychology and human interest type affairs that I was interested in in my scholastic achievements. I know that people are self serving, they just are. People are naturally geared towards self interest. Now, some people, they don't have to fight that very hard. Some people, while their biology and their genetics speak to a self-serving motivation, some people are just naturally very thoughtful and they're very giving and they're very selfless. So they don't have to work very hard to maintain this sense of kindness and giving. It comes easily to them or it comes easier to them than it comes to others. Now, what happens is this crisis of conscience, right? So if you're geared to be selfish, apparently every only child is considered selfish. I don't know why, but I was an only child basically, and that's something I've grown up with my whole life. But if your biology is desperately screaming from the rooftops and patio bars that you are selfish, but you consider yourself to be selfless, well, you've got these two opposing forces that might be causing something of a crisis of conscience in your own mind. Well, for me, since I know the backstory, I know that we're all self interested creatures. When people tell me things, what goes through my mind is, okay, you're probably embellishing. Okay, they tell me that they saved three lives and they've had a profound impact on 2,000 people. I take away from that that they probably saved one life and then they're making the argument that, well, I saved one life, but these two other people were the wife and the kid of this person I saved, so I really saved three lives. Yeah, but that's not really what you represented. You represented that you saved three individual specific lives, and that's not the case. And if you say that you've had a profound impact on 200,000 people, well, you probably had a mild impact on 2,000 people. I always am undervaluing or minimizing a little bit when people are always talking about themselves in such a positive light, because it's just hard for me to not think of it in terms of, okay, how are you serving yourself with these statements? However, I... And this may not be the best way to be, but when people tell you things that are negative, it's hard to think that there's a motivation for them to be doing that. Now, I'm not talking about when you're in an abusive relationship and somebody's constantly telling you that you're a POS enough where you get to believe it. But I mean, if someone comes up to you at work and says, you know, I never liked you because you're pompous, because you're pretentious, and because you leave all your nasty TV dinners in the microwave, especially when you do a Stouffer's lasagna. And it looks like a baby llama was exploded in the microwave. What is that person's motivation if they're lying to you? So they came up to you. They told you why they don't like you. What is the intent there? I don't think the intent is to make you feel bad. And I don't think the intent is it's some long con where they say these mean things to make you feel bad so that they can swoop in later and they can be the hero or they can work out some sort of masterful apology that then puts you two in cahoots. I don't see that. So the point is, is that when people say positive things, about themselves or other people, it's a little harder for me to believe that is 100% default to truth than if they just said, well, I don't like that person. The not liking or the, the negative comment to me sounds more honest because it's harder for me to find reasons and motivations for them to be lying about something they're saying that's negative. With that said, I don't want you to think that I think that false positivity is horrendous and that you should walk around constantly professing how terrible things are. Like I said, nobody wants to be around a doomsday Diane or a debilitating Dean. But for me, I think that there's a truth and there's an honesty in telling people who you really are, what you really think about things, 
and on a daily basis, how you're really doing. Because if you tell everybody that you're doing great, great exclamation mark. The problem with an exclamation mark behind the wonderful or the fabulous or the splendiferous or like my main man Wham Bam Cam says, outstanding. These are great words and they're very positive, but they put an exclamation mark behind them. I'm doing fabulous. Okay. The problem with an exclamation mark is that it's final. Now, what if somebody asks how you're doing and you say, you know, tell you the truth, I've been better. Well, I've been better. There's a dot, dot, dot behind that. And in that ellipsis, you can be given a M&M trail like Dean in the episode Wendigo of Supernatural Season 1, Episode 2. You're now given a thread that you can tug on and you can pull on and maybe you can get somewhere. So for purposes of communication, you've got the ellipsis, which leads to more. It leads to more digging. It leads to more questions. And in that discussion, you might actually get to the truth. But with false positivity, that's where you maintain an air of everything is great. There are no questions needed to be asked because I'm fine. And now it's time to talk about you. That's great that you're very interested in getting to know other people and their plights and their problems. But like a lot of things in life, they should be transactional in the extent that they are reciprocal. You give a little bit about yourself and in turn, they give some about themselves. I like the idea of equitable. I like the idea of reciprocity. I think that it balances the scales and I think it's good for social interactions. Now, I know what you've really been waiting for. The application. What is the application of defaulting to truth and false positivity? Okay, we heard about the pregnancy example, but how do you apply this to your white collar? First of all, audience, I'm not here just to fasten and furnish arguments, anecdotes, and analogies. I'm not just an inventor. While I have written these scripts from scratch, and I compose these arguments from just the cockles of my own wily mind, I also refine arguments and ideas that have already been put forth. And it's in that refinement process that you can discover new truths. You can accomplish two remarkable feats in your life. You can invent things, or you can improve upon the technology through creative alteration and integrative innovation. These ideas come to me. I get them from a variety of sources, and it's my duty to share them in a coherent, articulate manner. You can sort and pick and ultimately apply what you like. Well, Wham Bam Cam, for example, he has a lot of good ideas. And if you go over to his Audible Ally on about every conceivable Audible platform that exists, you will hear a lot of good arguments and you will discover a lot of good advice. Well, I get some ideas from him. He gets some ideas from me. But it's not about stealing, and it's not about taking credit. It's about the marketplace of podcasting ideas and ideals. From a white-collar perspective, much like with Bernie Madoff lying with his false positivity, and of course, look at the damage and detriment from that lengthy F-Stars caper. But I say in the white-collar workplace, it's better a rough candor than a smooth deception. Because at least with candor, whether you're talking to a coworker, whether you're on a project or a committee, or whether you're at the top tier management level, at least with the candor, you know what you are dealing with and where with it you stand. If you're honest at work about how a new program or a new initiative is actually performing, even if the results are abysmal, you can begin working on the correction, or you can rebrand it, or you can repackage it, or you can deliver it in a way that's more palatable. But that's the only way to really get down to the grit nitty of what is happening. If you are 
guilty of this. And if you're not guilty of it yourself, maybe you have had an experience where you're on the unfortunate receiving end of it. But what if at the white collar, you have a middle manager who's trying to make a name for themselves and they have a baby. They have a workplace baby. Now I know you're thinking, wait, pregnancy test? I thought it was false positive. There were no babies born. No, I'm talking about a metaphorical foundling. But these managers will get in their heads that they have to perform. They have to make a name for themselves in the workplace spotlight, and they have to craft something that is irrefutably awesome. And the problem with that is they can put blinders on to the critiques and the criticism. So at my white collar, one of the manager's babies was to call every single customer. That was the way to excel in customer service and the response rate. Well, I can tell you that not once did they seriously take into consideration the downside or the complex problems or the time-consuming nature necessary to pull off such a grand feat. And because of that, I took away some things, uh, words of caution for white collar, which are, if a manager comes up with an idea, if a pod of managers come up with some idea, some initiative that they want to put into practice, the first thing that you should do is take the creator of that idea out of the loop. Make them an advisor only where they get feedback and they can still speak on it and they can offer tips. And of course, you can update them on how things are going. But the person that crafted the idea in such a cutthroat white collar environment, they are too invested in it. They're too invested in it emotionally. They're too invested in it from a successful seeking perspective, a success seeking perspective. They're too involved. And there needs to be a healthy distance between what they're trying to accomplish and actually seeing the results for what they are. Otherwise, they put blinders on and they become immune to any derision or any comments, no matter how tangible and no matter how sensical and no matter how applicable the comments may be that speak even remotely negatively about the merits of their idea or of their initiative. So in the white collar, do not ever convey false positivity with regards to how things are functioning. I don't care what you think you're doing on the spreadsheets when you manipulate the data to make the fourth quarter sales or the fourth quarter recoveries look better. These are not accurate measurements. And if you don't have accurate data, much like we learned in my discussion with Wham Bam Cam on efficiency, if the data is not correct, you are creating so many problems. You are complicit in a plethora of challenges and complications that will have to get unscrewed for six months, a year, two years. The time that may have to go into fixing your misapplication or your misrepresentation of data could be catastrophic. So instead of being falsely positive, why don't you just be neutral? Why don't you just discuss the figures and the data as it is, ugly or sightly or whatever it may be, but know that that is the way to fix it. And it's better to know the ugly truths, not the false positivity, but the real negativity. It's better to know that up front. The quicker you get that data out, the quicker you can start making adjustments so that it's not a total F-stars fiasco. So that is the application of the idea of defaulting to truth. And don't just believe a manager because they have a title. Don't just believe a middle manager because they say, well, I have the ear of Tad, the big wig in the corner of the office. No, ask questions, challenge them, make them tell you why the idea makes sense and why it should be applied. Because you're not just going to have some passive hand in this. This could very easily dictate how you do, how your department does, and how the macrocosm of the organization performs based on this data and based on these results. So ask questions, trust but verify, do not default to truth 
Just because your manager or a coworker tells you something, research it, get an additional validation of this raised point or this persuasive argument that they're making. But most importantly, when you're talking about how a procedure or how the implementation of something is working, you must not be falsely positive. You must not distribute false positivity, but you must be truthful with your measurements. You must be truthful with the data. That is the only way to move things along in a palatable manner that you can live with. You know, even when you were young, you knew when people were pretending. Even kids know when adults are pretending and screwing with them. Kids know. Just like Ethan Hawke said on this interview that when he was shooting White Fang a lifetime ago, he said it took a lot of time to try to get these wolf dogs or these animals to open up to him. Because he said that if you try to come on too strong with a dog or an animal, where you really want them to come to you and eat out of your hand, for example, they're going to be distrustful of this because you're trying too hard. It's the same thing with false positivity. If you try too hard, it's going to look desperate, but more importantly, it's going to look suspicious. Don't be suspicious, audience. And also, don't be so positive that you're fake. Because when somebody says things that you just know don't sound bona fide or they don't sound legit shiz, that immediately raises flags. And when you're fake, the problem is, just like this workplace problem, if things aren't going the way the manager wanted, you don't really know where you stand with them. But at least if somebody comes up to you and says, I don't like you, and these are the reasons why I don't like you, unlike that fake duplicitous life form, you at least know where you stand. Personal nugget time. Man, it's been a long time since a personal nugget was aired. But you know what I do, audience, with my own parents? I tell them everything's going fine. That's it. Just fine. No more, no less. And I very rarely expound upon that. Now I know you're thinking, oh, you're a hypocrite. You just spent 35 plus minutes telling us to not be a false positive. I tell you that to let you know that, like anything, there are complications. You know who I don't open up to? I don't open up to people that don't take an interest. The type of people that, how are you doing? But then they immediately go back to their latte. They don't really give a shiz. They're just asking because societal pleasantries dictate that they ask. I don't like to talk to people that aren't taking a legit shiz interest in my affairs. I also am not going to open up to people who are not able to exhibit a deathless level of trust. I will not opine or reveal vulnerabilities to people who always greet me with a gratuitous stream of vitriolic criticism and or crippling judgment. I have a father-in-law who come to find out he lived a similar sequence of lifestyle moments and that he stopped opening up to his parents too, because every time he would tell them about what was going on in his life, it would immediately be met with criticism. Well, guess what? I learned my lesson in my teenage years that when I would open up about how things were going, it would immediately be greeted with a spectrum of criticism, ranging from a simple question like, well, why are you handling things that way? To things that are much, much darker and more debilitating. I am telling you to not be a false positive, but a false positive is not the same thing as keeping your mouth shut. I mean, obviously, if someone asks how you're doing and you say, I don't want to talk about it, well, that's not a false positive. You're making a very strategic choice to bite your tongue at this moment. I found though that there are some people like, so for example, I'm never going to tell you never to lie. Like do not ever lie. Because obviously there are circumstances in which you have white lies or you have these little holy lies where lying is the only thing you can do. And lying makes sensical God D-stars sense. Just like thou shall not kill. Of course there's circumstances when you can kill. But I'm saying that as a general rule, 
If you see false positivity coming, be very vigilant, be very alert to who is being falsely positive, and ask yourself why. Like, are they telling you the truth, or do they just not want to talk about something, and they're just telling you what you want to hear so that you move along? But these are things that you should be asking questions about. And in the workplace, when the manager tells you that this is the initiative, but then when you ask follow-up questions, they get very cagey, and they get very taciturn. This is exactly why you should be wondering, wait a second, this sounds a little bit like Falsetto Prophets episode 56 on false positivity. Maybe they're saying things in a positive light, because if you get down past the style and into the substance of it, it's actually sloppy and shizzy. Now, do you have someone like that in your life that you say, oh, everything's going fine, and you leave it at that? Well, do me a favor, but more importantly, yourself and those who you confide in a favor. Take the number of trusted listeners and try to triple it in the next few months. I firmly believe that there is no upper limit nor a rock ceiling on wholesome God D-Stars life forms to surround yourself with. Who are the three people that I'm looking for to actually open up to about what's happening in my hemisphere? People who take an interest, those who exhibit a deathless trust, and those who will not greet you with a gratuitous stream of vitriolic criticism. Now, as far as mental health, obviously, like I said, if you are thinking that you're a piece of shiz, but you're trying to work out of that rut by thinking positive thoughts and maintaining a positive clarity in your direction of travel through life, that's one thing. But if you're constantly telling everybody that everything's fine, when you know that it's not, then why are you lying to your friends? That's the question that I would pose. But much like Sidekicks, that great film with Jonathan Brandis and Chuck F. Stars Norris from the 90s, these white-collar black belt episodes may be fewer in number currently, but they are richer. Unwind with falsetto, you're positively negative or negatively positive, falsely accurate, daily F-Stars grind, audience. I compose these for you, and if you treat these sessions like a prop, in a James Bond game of Baccarat, listen and pass the shoe to your trusted companion, coworker, counterpart, or partner in white-collar crime. Hang on with titanium talons to your sense of veracity, audience, for your next inspiring, never-tiring dose of Chemowalk Sessions. Chapter 57, White-Collar, Black Belt, The Ferocity of internal velocity, a need for speed, but also direction. Falsetto out. <laughs>